Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast special Alpine Bushfires series, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people from the Victorian Alpine region who went through the bushfires which occurred from late 2019 through to early 2020. These stories highlight the different challenges and events people went through and how they overcame them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help you. If you love this conversation, please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. In this episode of the Tsuki Heroes Alpine Special, I spoke with Jill Graham, who's manager of the Myrtleford Neighbourhood Centre and also the Moyu Neighbourhood Centre. Kentucky Heroes are partner at Myrtleford Neighbourhood Centre to record the real-life stories of people who were impacted by or involved in supporting the community through the Black Summer Fires as part of the Bushfire Recovery Project. Jill's passion for giving back to the local community comes through strongly in a story. She shares about the widespread confusion that arose in the community about what to do where to go as the Black Summer bushfires increasingly took a hold in the Alpine region. Jill also shares the emotional heartache as members of her own family took on key high-risk roles to fight the fires and protect their local community. Jill's story left me feeling a strong appreciation for people like her and the key role they play in supporting our local communities. So please sit back as you watch or listen to Jill's story. Okay, good morning, Jill. So great to have you here on uh, on Father's Day, uh, on a Sunday morning, but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to to share your story. So what I want to do is hand over the microphone to you because this, this is all about you and your story, and uh, particularly with regard to the, the Black Summer bushfires. So why don't you take us back to uh, where your story begins, set the scene for us, and just and just talk us through. Okay, well, um, I'm talking from two valleys. So we've got the Ovens Valley and the King Valley, which run parallel to each other. Um, they were both affected, um, probably not directly impacted, um, but there was fire close by and there was the, the potential danger. Um, I remember being in Myrtleford and people were coming into the neighbourhood centre and wanting to know what to do, like, they were getting all the messages, the um, warnings and that of what they could do, and we were getting lots of evacuation warnings, but people just weren't sure of what to do. And I was in that situation where I didn't know whether to to flee or to, you know, to stay put. So I remember sitting in Myrtleford thinking, okay, this could be potentially dangerous. What are we going to take from the centre? Not having been faced with this, because in 2009, I actually started the job within a few days of the 2009 bushfires in Myrtleford, which actually claimed lives. That was the same uh, as the Black Saturday um, down at King King Lake and Marysville and that. And so I hadn't really been in that position. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, how do we cope with this? Um, What... What do we need to pack up? How do we need to, you know, minimise the risks to to our neighbourhood centre? In King Valley, I had a similar 
thing. And I remember going over to the men's shed, taking photos of all the equipment. And after hours of deliberation, and I suppose in a little bit of like, um, I was unsure what to do and, and a little bit of panic too, because if it did come through in a hurry, we wouldn't have much time. I realised that all we needed to do was take the server and the the backup hard drive out. You know, after all that, you know, I, I think I had days of deliberation. What the heck do I do? So anyway, um, going backwards and forwards between both centres, we were getting um, evacuation, you know, messages coming over the radio and, and people in Myrtleford, some went to Wodonga, some went to Wangaratta. Unfortunately, the ones that went to Wodonga, a bushfire broke out near where they were at the barracks. Um, so it became, you know, a little bit dangerous. Um, a lot of people did go into Wangaratta, especially those that were a bit vulnerable um, and were unsure because the problems with the fires around Myrtleford Bright was that um, they were up in the hills and if they did get get away, especially at Mount Buffalo, it would come down the valley. So we were, we were clouded in smoke um, people not knowing what to do and there was quite a bit of panic like people were ringing up and saying look we've packed our utes up but we've got no more room can we drop stuff at the neighborhood center and it was just it was just a little bit of chaos I think because people weren't sure what to do here in Moyu in the King Valley I remember well I don't know what they're called now the Department of forestry or or whatever they've changed their name recently i just can't think of it at the moment they apparently held a community meeting here in moyu and i didn't know about it my daughter rang me from wagga and said mummy you're going to the community meeting and i said what meeting she said oh there's one at 10 o'clock so i went down to the fire shed and there about a handful of people turned up and they turned around and told us that because all the strike teams were so um, stretched that if the fire came to Moyu, they couldn't do anything to help us. So we all had to make that decision whether we were going to get out or not. And I remember standing there thinking, what about all these elderly people in town, people that don't have Facebook? How do we get that message out to people? Mm, like yeah. it really frightened me that this could happen. So, you know, I spoke to a few neighbours and we tried to get a bit of the word out, but we still wouldn't have got around the town. The town's probably got 300 50 people in the town, but the majority of them would have been elderly, so they're not Facebook people. Um, so, so you know, one minute you think, oh, well, we'll be right, we've got the CFA to, to look after us, and the next minute you're on your own. So, um, you know, that was all sort of a bit bit worrying. Um, we, were, we were covered in smoke for, for weeks, and I think that the information that got out from the um, Vic you know, emergency services wasn't as clear as what it could have been and people had no idea what to do. At one stage the road was cut between um, Wangaratta and Moyu, um, so people couldn't go either way. So um, they were sort of trapped in the valley. Once you're trapped in the valley, and it's the same with Myrtleford, like if you're trapped in the valley, how do you get out, you know, if the fire comes down? Now in Myrtleford, there was there was a lot of um, not chaos, but what they did, they they actually had the Metropolitan Fire Brigade come up to protect Bright, and then they got the police Metropolitan Police up, but the Metropolitan Police were trying to stop people going through, 
but they were stopping the people that needed to get through. Like, you know, um, I was talking to a consultant we'd been working with, and he said the um, the head of the police in Bright couldn't get back up there because they wouldn't let the person through. You know, and they got pretty pretty annoyed with it all. So it was just, I think the media played a big part in all this and made it. I, I suppose people were just really. You know, just had no idea what what to expect, and I think yeah, that's that's a big part of of what happens with these sort of things. So even though we weren't directly impacted, um, you know, I think we all were sitting there watching our TVs, listening to the radio, and to me, it was like Australia was on fire. It was. Yeah. There was fire mm. everywhere. So and we were we were sort of on the on the fringe of it. So classic question. There's a. Um- as someone who lives in the suburban area, there's still a focus on planning for fire, and yes. it seems to be ever increasing. But the impression that you're giving is that the uh, and and b- built up by the media, there's e- increasing awareness, but people didn't. Well, were they sure what to do? Like they they were contacting you at the neighbourhood centres, but but you, did you have your own plan around that? Was was there sufficient planning in place for the Murder for Neighbourhood Centre for the community in in general to know what to do in the case of a bushfire? No, no, <laughs> there definitely wasn't. And this is why since then we've been involved in a couple of projects. The first one went over two years called Enabling Communities and unfortunately it came at a bad time where we couldn't consult with our community. But we could see the importance that we had to bring community groups and that on board to get their own plan because there's that 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 gap in time, that 72 hours where it takes for the services to get in place where community groups could be helping other people, especially vulnerable people. So we did two years of working on that and the most recent project we're working on currently is the Disaster Resilient Future Ready uh, Project. And we have connected this year with um, a dozen, I suppose, the stronger community groups in the in the town, and started to bring them together to see what is it we want community driven, because this is where it all fell in a hole. I spoke with the Alpine Shire um, emergency person uh, management person soon after the bushfires, and she said the problem that the Alpine Shire has is they don't have that connection on the ground with the community. They can do their emergency plan, but we need to have the community on board. And look, from my experience with fires, we had 2006, 2007 fires here, and people want to get out and help. They need to do something. They can't just sit back with the smoke, you know, billowing around their ears. They need to be part of it. So with what we're trying to work on, People will be able to, they're not going to take over what the services do. They're going to have their own plan so that if, you know, someone down the road is on oxygen and all of a sudden the power's cut off, they can get a generator for that person until help comes comes in. You've got all your services clubs that have got barbecues, generators, all sorts of things that can help. Um, so that's what we're planning to do because we find that if people are fire ready or disaster ready, they're more likely to recover a lot better from, from a disaster. Now, at our last get-together, we actually had a scenario and we're going to have a few scenarios where 
the, the fellow from SES, and this might not fit in with what we're talking about, but he did a scenario on earthquakes. So he said at quarter to three on a Thursday afternoon, Myrtleford experienced an earthquake. Now, he didn't say how bad it was, but he went through everything that could have gone wrong. And one of the things that really stood out was it was school pickup time. Parents were going to panic. Oh, my goodness, I've got to get to my children. There's going to be hundreds of cars, you know, converge on the school. So there were so many things came into that. And I could see where that related to fires as well. So we, you know, we need to prepare our community for what's going to happen again, because it may not happen this year, but we've had a lot of rain. We've got a lot of undergrowth and it's bound to happen. I heard on the news yesterday that there's a lot of areas in Australia now who are in, heading back into drought, and the, as you said, the risk of bushfires is 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 increasing. In your view, is areas like your area down there through uh, uh, around Myrtleford now better able to handle the situation they, than what they were in 2019 and 20? They would be a bit better able to handle it, but I still think there's a lot of work to do. Okay. The, the Alpine Shire, maybe, um, you know, I, I'm presuming they, they keep improving their emergency response, but we still need to do a lot of work with the community because that's, from my perspective, that's where I saw a lot of the panic and, and um, people getting quite nervous. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kitsukiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback you can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. Can I take you back again to the 2019 and 20 fires? And I know that you had some of your family directly involved in the fires. And we previously heard the amazing story of, of Trav Ledger, your son-in-law, and, and there may be others in your family. What were your feelings around that, knowing that people close to you were working at the fire front? And uh, how did you feel and, and how did you cope? Oh, it was very frightening um, and and not being able to do anything because, I, you know, I remember talking to my son Peter who was at Nelligan just out of Batemans Bay. He was um, managing a caravan park up there and they evacuated most of the people there but there were 17 women and children left there and there was him and another fellow that were looking after them and the fire came came right up to where they were and I was on the phone to him and all of a sudden he said I've got to go the fire's about to come over wow. us and 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 communication was cut and it was like oh my goodness what do I do and I've got other members of my family yelling at wow. me mum do something I mean I can't I couldn't even get wow. there to help so we didn't hear from him for about three days um, to know whether he was okay or not. And he is still suffering from the trauma he went through back then. Wow. 
I was going to ask a question about, do you see evidence of, of trauma going back to the fires? And clearly with your, uh, with the sun, you've seen that. What, a, what about in the local community? Do you see evidence of, uh, unaddressed or, or unidentified trauma going back to the, oh, to the. Yes, definitely. You know, and it's not, it's not just the, the 19, 2019, 2025s. They've experienced this before in Myrtleford. Like this goes back, you know, you know, 2009, which was a, a pretty bad fire. And, and it would go back, you know, over many years. People are really, um, um, struggling with it all. And, after talking to to Rob Gordon, he's he says that it can take up to five years yes. for people, and not everybody deals with it. Yep. People just um, shelve it and don't deal with these um, the problems. And it may come out in different ways that you don't realise that are connected to the trauma they've been through. Yep. And I'm noticing we've got one of our staff um, is struggling a bit at the moment. For the audience. Um uh, Jill and uh, myself are, are partnering in a project to, as part of the uh, Black Summer Bushfire Recovery Project, to do try and do our bit to help with the recovery. Um, Jill, ha- how do you how do you see that going, and and do you see any evidence, or what do you, what do you what are your hopes from this project will be able to achieve? Well, I've never known. And correct me if I'm wrong, for anyone to have ever gathered that evidence and had photos and podcasts and that of what really happened, because I think we really need, I think people that have been involved in telling their stories, it's actually really good for their recovery as well. I know with Trav, with what you've done there, um, he buries a lot of stuff. And it would have been really good. Even Brooke said to me, she's surprised that. He did it, but it would have done him the world good because um, he's been through a lot of trauma in his life and I know this really affected him. So I think this is great. The people of Myrtleford, um, and I've spoken to a few people um, only recently that said, oh, we would have told our stories. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> laughing because uh, I guess it's one of the lessons that we've seen from this exercise is that. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult for people who are experiencing trauma to actually come out and share the story. But uh, it's great that people like Trav did. So, what about some of the things that you've seen in the community that have helped with the recovery? What are some of the good things that have been that, that have been done that you've seen help people? Well, it's been really hard because you know COVID really knocked that out of the ballpark. Um, and we're even we were talking about it the other day where. We're finding people still struggling to get out and mix socially, even now. Um, and it's not just, I think it was just the bushfires happened. People didn't get time to to talk about it, to get out, because we were locked down pretty much, you know, on and off for two years. I think this has um, compounded the the problem, and I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that will still come out of the, the woodwork. So, you know, we're trying to get people together, um, but it's been really hard. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the in the future. I remember in Trav's story, uh, after they had attempted to save a number of houses and other buildings in the area that he was sent to, a few days later they went back and met the locals that had a beer with them at the pub and he describes just how 
how healing that experience was and I guess lots of appreciation from the local community. So it seems to be this, just getting people together uh, over, it doesn't have to be a beer, but a beer or just something that gets the community together and start talking. I know that um, in Myrtleford in the January, we'd actually planned to have some children's activities and we decided after the bushfires, well, we won't, well, COVID hadn't surfaced then, we would go ahead with it. So we had probably half a dozen um, individual days. We might have had a Lego day, um, you know, tie-dye, face painting, all these things. And people from Myrtleford and surrounding districts and mainly grandparents brought along grandchildren and their comments were, we have been locked up for so long, surrounded by smoke. It is so nice to get out and talk to people. And they were talking to each other, you know, the adults. And the kids were having a great time. And I remember standing there and thinking, I'm so glad we went ahead with, with this, not knowing that before long, you know, this wasn't going to happen for a long time. But we at least gave some people that bit of a reprieve and they weren't just all from Myrtleford. There was, you know, surrounding districts. So we were inundated with um, um, kids and grandparents and mums and dads just needing to get out and talk to other people. And that was probably the best thing that I saw come out of that. Now, can I ask you a more personal question? So, um, so you're running a neighbourhood centre. Now, to me, it sounds like a, a pretty tough job. And you, and obviously, bushfires is one of the things that brings that. So what? What made you decide that you wanted to do a role like that within the community? Why, why do you do what you do? To help people, to help empower people because there's so many people out there that won't ask for help and they don't always come into the centre, um, you know, straight out looking for help. They may have that what I call a hidden agenda. They may come in and say, what courses have you got running? You know, as you get to know that person and build up that relationship, you realise that they're they're looking for help of some sort, and right. it may may could be anything. Um, but we've helped a lot of people, and I think that's part of the job that I really like is someone walking out that door feeling a lot better than when they walked in, and knowing that you've helped someone um, is the best feeling. Out, I get bogged down with paperwork, but every day I. When I close that door, I think I've met someone great and it might be they're in terrible circumstances, but I've been able to sit and listen to them. And that's the part of the job I really like. So just what are some of the main services as, as a neighbourhood centre that you provide to the community? Uh, well, we, we provide, well, since the fires, we've gone into um, food relief and that's been invaluable because... Um, with COVID and that, we were doing COVID farm drop-offs, people that couldn't, had no one to help them out. Um, we provide um, any sort of, anything that anyone wants. If people come in and they need financial counselling or whatever, we can refer them. We've ha- had people that have been getting evicted from their homes and we've managed to get legal aid in to help them. Um, we did hundreds and hundreds of COVID vaccination certificates people in Myrtleford. Now, that was a pretty hard job because we had six of us at computers working from nine till four o'clock and people would come in and expect you to press a button and their certificate would pop out. They didn't realise that you had to have a MyGov account, you had to have an email address and usually a smartphone. 
Now, most people didn't have that, so it was really hard setting them up. But we did so many because people at one stage couldn't go anywhere without their their proof of vaccination. So that was probably one of the biggest things we've ever done. And and we were asked by the local doctor's surgery to help out there initially because they couldn't cope with the demand. People might just come in and, you know, their phone, they mightn't understand their phone or they there might be some little thing with their computer. doesn't matter what it is. It's just a free service, just helping people. I, I love that. And it, it, it resonates with me and I can see by the look on your face, it clearly resonates with you. Uh, you're someone who obviously loves what you're doing and helping giving back to the community. Um, Jill, a final question. If there's people out there who are still experiencing trauma uh, from the fires um, and they've heard your story, what advice would you give to these these people who may be listening, watching or, or uh, reading this? Well, I think they need to talk about it. They need to talk about it with family and friends or, you know, come in, even someone they don't know. They need to talk about it. They don't need to bottle it up. I've, I've seen people that, especially since COVID, have just thought really, you know, drawn back into themselves. And it's not going to do them any good to keep it bottled up. It doesn't matter who it is they talk to. They need to get out and talk about it and get it out because um, otherwise, you know, it's just going to build up. And then when the next disaster comes along, it's just going to compound it. So that would be my advice. I remember in one of the stories, uh, someone, they saw an open fire in winter. They couldn't light the fire in winter because it would bring back, it would trigger trauma. And it just, which is which is awful. Yeah. Um, Jill, I want to thank you so much for sharing your insight, at, uh, a powerful story of giving back and supporting your local community. And I guess on behalf of other Australians and particularly our city folk, I just want to thank you for, for what you do in your area. I, I love uh, the Alpine region and uh, it's just such a beautiful country uh, there with beautiful people. So thank you very much for sharing. You're welcome. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes with the Alpine Bushfires special series. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. And join us for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.